Hello, you thousands of beautiful incarnations of me, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of Dualist Unity. I'll be playing the part of Andrew today. And I'm Ray, or at least that's what I'm calling myself for the sake of convenience, and so people can just stop saying, hey, you, or, or getting confused when I identify as God. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Celeste's take on when that you mentioned on our call last week that like no one is born with a name, like no one inherently has a name. I've been chewing on that like all week. It's just been hitting me like, oh my God, like no one actually has a name, but we so closely tie everyone's identity to their name. We're like, you're Ray, I'm Andrew, you're Sally, you're Johnny. But it's like, that's just a random grouping of sounds and letters that your parents decided to name you like it's crazy <laughs> yeah that is well when you think about it and i mean we just get kind of caught up in, in the the habit and the the, uh, the tradition of naming things and we lose track of it like even today i was talking to celeste again and we were talking about the difference between having a name or being your name right we have a name <laughs> It doesn't mean we are our name. It's a possession like anything else. It's a tool. And that changes how you look at it. It changes how you identify with it. It changes how seriously you take it, right? And so it, it really is just about picking all of that apart. But there's more to it than that because we always talk about how concepts get in the way of the recognition of reality. The name is just as much a concept as anything else. It, ind it indicates individuality, separation, division from everything else. And that changes how we look at everything. And I know later this week, we're doing uh, our third roundtable episode, and we're going to have one guest where I've been kind of going back and forth with her on Instagram for the last few days about the concept of death or the afterlife or reincarnation. What happens when we die or what happens before we're born? What about the, the concepts of soul contracts? And what about the memories that people have when they go into deep hypnosis or when they have a near-death experience? Are those experiences not real? And my perspective, or, or rather the point that I'm always trying to make is they are as real as any other perceptual experience, which means that they're not actually reality. They're just the reality that you're experiencing because death or the end of the illusion is the entirety of unity, being, singularity. We talked about this in the last two episodes at great length. So I encourage anybody who has been, who's listening to this now to go back to those episodes if you missed them. But when we're talking about the singularity of unity, there's no time, there's no space, there's no choice, there's no rest, there's nothing like that because there's no separation, there's no division. And so when people get close to dying, when they have an NDE or when they go into deep hypnosis, they let go of their character to a greater, greater and greater degree. And so they start getting closer and closer to the recognition of unity, which is what happens when we let go of the illusion. And so suddenly they have an experience like rejoining their family, seeing loved ones, right? Seeing their life flash before their eyes, as it were. And then when they come back, because they don't die, it's a near-death experience, not a death experience, then they interpret that through the filter of their already existing dualistic perspective, because they died from a perspective of division and came back to that perspective of division. And so they're filtering the entire experience of unity, what they can remember through that perspective. And that's why they say, I chose my life. I chose my parents. Everything in my life makes perfect sense because each and every moment of perfect clarity, and we know because we can experience this here and now, all of a sudden brings about the same feeling of seamless appropriateness. When you are the present moment, everything that went into that present moment makes perfect sense. And it doesn't matter if you do that through letting go of your illusion of yourself 
or through having a near-death experience. I just wanted to cover that quickly because I know we're going to end up talking about it in this roundtable coming up on Wednesday, but it really is the question of then why do people say that they can remember seeing their loved ones? Because they are their loved ones and death is the recognition that you are everything you've ever experienced. Yeah. And I feel like if you're caught up in that illusion of duality, like it's almost like you, you kind of did choose it but when you're caught up in the illusion it's like you think you are this character that chose it but and that's why people get caught up in with like pre-life afterlife all of that that they remain this character but once you see so much more clearly like that you're not this character which is what people call enlightenment or whatever people want to label it like there's such a domino effect with every other thing that we have programmed, been programmed to believe, like whether it's any sort of belief system or any thoughts about before life, after life, all of that, like anything outside of right now, which is just a concept, which is more or less an illusion, like isn't what is, gets so much clearer because it's like, well, what happens after we die? Well, you never actually existed. So you aren't dying. There is no death. And, and once you see that, it's like, people still say like, well, no one really knows. And it's like, sure, I don't know anything that's going to happen in, in five or 10 minutes, quite frankly. But once you see beyond the idea that you are this idea, that you are this character, then it makes so much more sense that it's like, who's after life is it like it's just life period there is no you separate from life experiencing this experience or, or having this human experience like you are this human and everything else experiencing all of it with no separation whatsoever and i've had some people just like commenting on my videos like there is about non-duality and, and just how any sort of separation is an illusion. They're like, well, there is separation because I, I perceive, you know, a difference and, and I'll, I'll respond like, yes, there is, but it's not actual, like, it's not, not an illusion. Like it is in the way that we perceive it as much as anything else is real, but it isn't the truth. Like it isn't that like there it's that illusion. Like it's a really fucking good illusion, but it's still an illusion. And I think that's like one of the keys is just being able to see that it's an illusion and not the truth. And that changes your perspective on everything. All of a sudden, everything isn't as heavy. It's not as serious. Nothing, you don't have to take anything very seriously. Cause as Bill Hicks said in that, in that uh, stand-up, like this is all a ride. And as serious as people want to take it. As serious as people think things are, it's all a ride. But until you see that, you won't be able to see with enough clarity to see beyond the illusion of you. And then you'll act in a way of, of selfishness, thinking that it isn't a ride. And, and more for me, this idea of me, as opposed to seeing yourself in everything, like being all as the present. But until you do, it's, it's tough to act much differently, especially with where our society is at. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's kind of like, um, what's the difference between my forearm and my wrist? It's the same thing. 
right? It's just that I've conceptually divided it into parts that are slightly different from one another and serve different purposes, right? But there's no separation at the end of the day, except for conceptually and for the sake of convenience and, and, and for the sake of communication or even for the sake of analysis, which is all great. But again, it's when you lose track of the fact that the wrist is attached to the forearm, there's a serious problem, especially if you're a doctor, you want to keep those things in mind, right? So that, that's very much you know, the crux of it. But what's interesting is that as we start to let go of our idea of ourselves, as we start to recognize that what is, is what we are. Like we are what is. The intelligence of, of the universe is what we are. We're a part of, we're the wrist to the forearm, to the shoulder, to the arm. Like there's no separation whatsoever. But we get so involved with this kind of counter story that we're invested in to give ourselves the illusion of control, to promise ourselves that we can get what we want and what we prefer and so on and so forth, that we almost lose touch with what's happening. We actually start to, to fall into conflict with what is all the time, and it's because we're not actually part of it. So one thing I've noticed in the course of my life over the last 20 years is that whenever I have pursued being intuitive, whenever I've tried to get to a state of mind where I am sensitive to reality, I'm once again creating another layer. I'm once again creating this bubble of sensitivity, this idea of sensitivity, whereas the reality of sensitivity is, is the act of listening, which is what happens when you're no longer speaking over yourself, when you're no longer speaking over reality itself. And so what's interesting is that we can't really, we can't see what's in the future. But the more present we are, the more we start to actually get a feeling for where the future is going, or rather for where the flow is going. And there's no way to describe it because you can't try to get to that state. It's just one of those things where the more present you are, the more you start to go, this feels about the right time for that to happen. And then it does. And what's crazy about that is that it's not like you're telling the future. You're just going, this feels like the appropriate time for this to arrive, and it does. And that's what makes me wonder about seers and people like Nostradamus and whatnot, right? Like if it's just intuition, if it's just getting out of the way and then communicating the insights and the visions and the hunches that are there, what's the potential there? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's crazy because this is all so recent for me, but getting yourself out of the way, it's like, it's, it's this massive, barrier like this massive wall that most people it's like you're so close to it that you don't see it or like a veil that's like on your eyeballs that is so close that you don't even see it or can't take a step back to see it so it's like creating that separation and being that sort of awareness of what is and realizing like you don't have a past like you are just right now like that whenever I whenever that hits me it just like knocks me into like oh my oh my God, like, I'm not this story. I'm not this concept. I'm, I'm not my past. I'm not anything that's happened up to this that I'm experiencing right now. But yeah, it's like this, this veil that is the most freeing thing I've ever experienced because there's no longer like anything that you're afraid of or that you worry about or that makes you nervous or anything has to do with that veil and, and seeing through everything through that lens that is, that is veiled by identity because with identity, if you live in that state, there are things to lose. There are things to gain. Absolutely. It, hearing and conceptually understanding there's nothing to gain or nothing to lose while thinking that you are 
this character, that you are this idea, it doesn't correlate. Like it doesn't make sense. It, it is, it is always, you're always going to miss it through that sort of veil of identification. But until you see through that, until you lift the veil or, you know, take, take it off or whatever, then it makes so much sense. And you see that it isn't who you are. And so even something like value by comparison kind of makes sense when you're identified and, and strongly cling to identification. So it's like all of these things, it's kind of like the 10 commandments. If you don't see yourself as everyone, it's kind of like something you have to, you have to do and like you get it, but it doesn't really make sense. It's like, well, I could be nice to my neighbor or I could, you know, do more for me and then like steal shit. And then it's like, all of a sudden I have more. And it's like, but if you see yourself as them, there's nothing, there's no division. So there's nothing that is being gained or lost either way. And, and it's like, why would you want to do that? It's like cutting off your hand so you can hold it in your other hand. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. It makes way more sense to just be able to use both of them. Right. So when you see yourself like that, all of those things begin to make sense. But until you do, it's almost like really difficult. Like you're, you're resisting sort of this innate desire to have more for me and build up this identity because the ego is driven by all those comparisons and this more for me mentality. So until you see that, but then it's like, same on the flip side, double-edged sword as, as we've talked about so many times. So, but yeah, once you see it, then everything becomes so much clearer and so much more obvious. And that's it. It's just seeing it, right? Like, and, and I had somebody comment on a video of mine today where I was kind of talking about the concept of God. And if you, if you look at God as, you know, the substrate of reality and, and, and whatnot, and the person wrote to me and they're like, yeah, okay. If you, if you redefine God, it's like, well, hold on. That's what God originally meant. It was all the believers and the people who were confused that redefined it. Really, they took the word and they twisted it into something it was never intended to be. So I'm not redefining the word. I'm identifying the root that the word was built upon, that the root that the word came from, right? And it's just that, well, that's not the way we use the word. That's right. It's not the way you use the word because the way you use the word is, is set up according to how you need to perceive yourself. Right. And so that's why they can't they can't have that conversation, because as soon as you question the word, you question who they are. Right. And that changes everything in the conversation. So you almost have to come around where, well, again, I've said this before. You can't talk to Christians directly about God if you want to get anywhere. You have to bring them back to the moment or, or to something that's actually real to their experience, something that goes beyond the argument of whether God or it, it, God is real or not. Right? Because that's an argument that they love. They love the argument that God is not real because then they can tell you, yes, it is. Look at all the people who agree with me. Look at the book that I have that backs this up. Look at all the history, blah, blah, blah. But when you see an atheist and a theist arguing, the funniest part about it is that they're both arguing about the same misunderstanding of God. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I've had those conversations and I've tried to go at it multiple ways. But like you've said before, like, going at it from a way of like starting with something as basic talking about even worry and anxiety, like your thoughts and perceptions about what is aren't the truth. And you don't need thought to experience what is, you don't need to rely on thought to feel better because the same thing that makes you feel better makes you feel worse. And it's just flipping a coin every single time. You don't know which side it's going to land on. And so starting with that and then seeing that, Oh, 
I'm at so much more peace without thinking. It's like, all right, where is, uh, and then eventually, you know, keep having the conversation you get to a point, well, where is God, if not here and now? It's like, yeah, but, but, and then they usually get a little bit tense and they're like, well, God, this is what I've learned. And this is what I believe. And it's like, well, you're, you're utilizing thought. Like we already got to the point that you didn't, you didn't need thought to experience what is, and you're at so much more peace actually experiencing God rather than having to believe in God through thought, because you can only believe in God, believe in anything through thought, which is the mechanism that drives all negative emotions. All of the things that we as a society struggle with so much, hate so much, can only be experienced through thought. Like, that's it. There's nothing else that if you stopped thinking, 99% of most people's problems would go away. Sure, you might be in a shitty situation, which you can't even label it as shitty because you can't think, but you might have things you have to do and shit you don't love doing, but those are all situational things that you are dealing with here and now. It's the only thing you can ever do is experience right now. So do with it what you can handle the situation to the degree that you can, but labeling it in any way isn't necessary. And realizing for a second that you don't have to think to experience or appreciate what is makes it so much clearer that, oh, wow, I'm at so much more peace, just like experiencing what is. And all the times, if you think back to times in your life where you were at peace, like you probably weren't thinking very much. You weren't in your head. You were fully in the moment, in that sort of flow state. And in that flow state, there is no belief. It's impossible to believe. So as a believer, you can't be in flow state while you're a believer until you stop being a believer for a second, which almost all of them do all the time. It's like, you can't believe in something if you stop thinking, but if you stop thinking, you'll find peace and you'll experience what you're believing in. And it's like this crazy fucked up sort of paradox, ass, ass backwards, half ass backwards situation. But it's, it's like when you go at it from that angle, starting with like thoughts and beliefs and, and the way you think things are or should be, and then kind of like slowly veer, there's going to be a point where they get super uncomfortable and super tense and probably tell you to fuck off, but it'll, it'll get to them in a different way than just saying like, oh, that's silly to believe in that. Yeah, no, there's no God. That's going to go well, for sure. Right. Because, you know, telling people what they that the reality they perceive is completely you know, invalid always goes well. So you, you have to meet them halfway. You have to kind of come to that part of the conversation that they've, I know, gotten used to and then start kind of poking holes in it, just talking about it in general. And then when you do that, what you're really doing is you're 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 bringing them back to reality or, or rather the reality that their their faith or their religion is, is based upon, because what you're talking about is the forgiveness of God, right? Like that's what they're talking about in the Bible. Like God forgives all your sins. God forgives all the story that you hold on to as soon as you're present and in the kingdom of heaven, right? Because in the kingdom of heaven, if you're not deliberately creating narrative, there's no narrative. So there's no sins to escape. You are completely forgiven, right? But then, you know, we, we lose that. We start thinking about, you know, the afterlife. And then again, that's all translated through how we perceive our life all translated through our preferences and everything else we never think about things all the way through because i mean if we thought about it what are we thinking about when we say we're going to die and go to heaven 
there's not going to be any hardships anymore. There's not going to be any sense of division anymore. There's not going to be, you know, anything like that. It's like, what experience are you going to have? What exactly are you going to do? Because I, I don't know about you, but I can only be perfectly happy and comfortable for so long before it gets a little boring and I want to go do something, right? And so it really comes down to recognizing the nature of life if you want to look at the nature of death, right? It's recognizing that reality is not what it appears to be, that this, this moment that continues to go on and on and on and on in infinite variations, changing all the time is in fact connected to us intimately and that we can actually influence the direction that it, that it goes in now rather than just you know pissing our time away complaining about the things we don't like and digging ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into an actual hell here on earth and that is the entire problem is that the belief creates the thing that the belief is promising to help you escape that's the one thing about it is like i believe in god to protect me from the devil you're creating the devil that's what you've done and now you're sitting between two fictions trying to find peace and you can't because neither of them are real. They're both different perspectives of the same thing, which is your existence. So just coming to peace with your existence changes the landscape. It changes the experience of what you're, of what you're doing. here. It's no longer about striving for fulfillment. It's now fulfillment moving forward. It's all it is, right? And that, that's really what we're trying to get across to everybody, but it's not about belief. And that is very much what we face when we talk to religious people as a whole. Well, this is my belief. And that's great. We know how that's working out for you. You know how that's working out for you. You do. It's just that it's familiar and it's comfortable and that and you're going to defend it because of that. But if we can just get to the point where the conversation is not that your belief is wrong, but that belief itself is always lacking that it always comes from a place of lack and it always leads back to the same suffering that you're investing in it to escape, well, then the conversation changes. And that, that's the only conversation we can really have about religion and spirituality is that they're a step to awakening, not awakening itself. Seems like with those discussions to a lot of people, as you said, we've talked about before, just get comfortable in a certain mentality and they don't want to question it anymore, whether they're part of the system that is benefiting from it, or they just feel like holding on to an idea of control or sense of control makes them feel better. But as soon as it's gone, it's like they go into spiraling madness, you know, whatever it is. But if you do take the time, you know, like we do, every week and both of us pretty much all the time to, to question this stuff and, and go as deep as we possibly can. You get to a point and Alan Watts has talked about this a little bit about recognizing that we, I am acting in the same exact way that the idea or concept of God would if he, he quote unquote, he were me. So if, if you imagine for a second that you are this all-powerful being that has, is pure paradise, can have whatever you want, get, get it whenever you want it, you know, have all of the money in the world, all of the time in the world, all of the riches in the world, all of it, like, it'd be pretty fucking dope for, I don't know, maybe five years, 10 years, maybe even a hundred or a thousand years. But when you play that out for eternity, 
it would get pretty boring, at least within a couple thousand years. You know, maybe maybe you could go that long. I think it would probably be get boring after maybe 10 years max, if that. But so what would you do if you were in that situation? You would start adding in some things that weren't fully in your control. You would start adding in a little bit of risk, a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of opportunities to struggle in order to overcome things like that. All of those things that we experience every single day, every single week, every single year, all throughout our lives, that is exactly what an all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient being would do if you play it out long enough. Like we are the manifestation. We are God experiencing itself. And, and we just cut ourselves off because we think of it as this higher power, this higher being that has all control. And it's like, we, it's like, when you think about a sort of storyline like that, like we were that we had that and we chose to experience this illusion of duality and play itself out for so long that we've completely forgotten that we are it. Like we are the ones with all of that opportunity that chose to experience this illusion of duality where there is risk, where there is opportunity to experience infinite potential of emotions in every given moment. Any single experience can be experienced. And whether you want to label it as positive or negative, there has to be the opportunity for negative experience, quote unquote, negative experiences for positive experiences, for the opportunity for negative emotions in order to experience positive emotions. And for there be to be an opportunity to experience positives, there has to be the opportunity to experience negatives. There can't be only one because they balance each other out. So if you were God, you would act in the same exact way that we are right now. This is it. We are it. Yeah. And then take it a step further when you realize that not only would God do that, but God would be doing them all simultaneously. And so seamlessly that one life would interact with the other lives, totally forgetting that they're the same life. And that's exactly what we're doing. That's how beautiful all of this is, right? Like every possible experience happens within the iterations of eternity. And we're just basically the experiences of them happening. But now that's an interesting way to look at it too, because somebody was asking on my TikTok account whether we choose our parents. And I understand where that question comes from, but it's complicated because it's not about choice because again, there's no us, right? So it's more like um, how green requires blue and yellow, right? So for the variation of green to exist, the variations of blue and yellow must exist in order for that green to come about, right? And it's not that green came from blue and yellow because everything came into existence at the same time. It's all the same moment, right? And so for the variation of God to exist that, I know, passes their, surpasses their limitations and their self-doubt coming from parents that are abusive or, or ignore them. For that variation to exist, there has, there has to be parents that abuse and ignore them, which means that those parents are necessary for that variation to exist for the other variations that that variation influences to exist as well. And so it's all one big tapestry. So it's not necessarily that we chose our parents so much as that our parents are perfectly appropriate to the variation that we embody. And so that, that's exactly the whole thing about, did we choose this life? Well, no, we chose them all. And 
by we chose them. It's not that we chose them at all. It's that they all exist by virtue of how limitless our awareness is. If you were to, to close your eyes and forget everything about your existence, forget your body, forget your name, forget the world, forget everything, and just exist in that space with your eyes closed, you would start to notice eventually that that space is not black. That, that space has shifting colors and shifting shapes and everything else within it because it's nothing. It's nothingness. So it's just potential all the time. Well, if you were to live there long enough, you would start to see some of those shapes take the shape of, say, your bedroom or you know, the, the painting on your wall or the person you're talking to. And it's because all of reality is the shifting moment. All of reality is in fact that now that's just moving. And we see the movements and we label them as separate pieces. And we go, that's the road and that's the street and that's Bob and that's me and that's the car. But it's really, it's just a moving picture constantly. And we're just part of it. Oh, I fucking love this podcast, dude. <laughs> oh man, that is some trippy shit. Yeah. Oh man. Like there is no proof that this isn't a dream in any other way that anything else, anything we label as a dream is like, where's the proof? I haven't been able to find any, and there isn't any technically, like it's a circular sort of argument, you know, cause anyone can say, oh, well, this definitely isn't a dream. It's like, that's exactly what someone would tell me if, if they didn't want me to know that it was a dream, but it was like, it's, it's wild. Yeah. And just, yeah, existing in that state more is, is like, it's almost like when things happen, like I have, I've found that I, I just react in such a different way than I used to. Like, I, I guess it's all kind of correlated, but like if something spills in my apartment or wherever I am, like someone knocks over a glass and say it even shatters and it's like, stuff spills everywhere. It's, it's so easy to be like, holy shit, what the fuck? Like, blah, 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 blah. But it's just like, like that happened. Not exactly that, but that happened. Something similar happened in my family's uh, apartment recently. And, and I just like, just had no reaction. I just went over, grabbed a paper towel and just like started cleaning up. And it wasn't even like, there was no like, oh my God, like what the hell? And like blaming and like, why would you do that? Well, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, well, it, something's on the ground now we should probably pick it up and wash the carpet and keep moving forward but there's no they're like there's no in between where the because it's all like ego if someone feels bad for doing it it's it's they see separation if if someone gets at angry at someone else doing it it's like they see separation but like when you see that it's there's no separation it's just like a happening within the happening. It's like, there's no emotion, not to be like emotionless. I'm not saying that, but it's like, it's like reaction less almost like there, there's no reason. It's almost hard to find a reason to blame or get angry about anything. It's like, Oh, something happened. Well, let's respond to it. Like that is responsibility as we talked about, I think two episodes ago, but it's, it's been interesting. There's so little, just like so little judgment or anger or worry sort of in that space. When you see that it's like, 
essentially all a dream, all your dream just happening. Like there isn't division. It's like, it's like a trippy kind of state to be in, which I know Ray is more than familiar with, but it's, it's cool also. Like there's so much more like, I don't know, freedom to potential in that sort of place. And so much more space for growth and opportunity. That's the thing, right? Is that you don't, you don't realize exactly how much of your, your quote unquote time you're pissing away with opinion until you start surrendering your opinion. And then you start going, I have a lot of time. Where'd all this time come from? Pretty sure I was busier than this before. And you just don't realize that for every action that takes a minute to do, you're adding five minutes of self-doubt. Right. And that's just making that action take longer because it's not like you're just getting it done. No, no. You got to deal with your complaints. You're slowing down your energy. You're sitting there dealing with all the, the physiological changes that go with being negative. Like it changes everything. And there's this, there's this great exercise in Wing Chun. I'm really looking forward to you visiting at some point in the near future because I intend to teach you a little bit of Wing Chun while you're here because there, there's some great um, physical exercises that kind of teach you what we do psychologically. And one of those exercises is just to put your hand out in front of you. And then to have the other per person mirror you and put their hand against you. And as they put pressure from one side or the other, as soon as you feel that pressure, you just let it go. You just let it slide on past, right? Instead of pushing back. And that's the exercise is how quickly can you feel that pressure and let it slide, let it go past you without resisting it. That's what you're experiencing is all of a sudden glass breaks. There's no resistance to this happening. There's no resistance to what is and everything that it entails. This is just what is, I'm gonna move accordingly, right? Where it's the resistance to it that messes everything up. It's the resistance that adds that discord, that distortion to the sound or to the feeling, right? It's just, it's just our resistance to what's happening that makes the experience different. And, and that's our choice. That, those are the doors that we can go through. Those are the opportunities that we're always talking about in each episode is what are you going to accept as possible? What are you going to resist as possible? What, is it, what are you going to resist based on your own preferences and your own illusions? And as soon as you can let those go, all of a sudden, all of the things that you couldn't see before are right in front of you because they always have been. But you can only see what you are prepared to accept is within your awareness. Yeah, that's a big one too. Like, I mean, beyond just the resistance, but willingness to, to see. And it's like seeing yourself as everything and seeing everyone as another iteration of you is like there you you see there's no room left for judgment really and and that point about having more time like it's so funny thinking back to when i used to you know worry a lot and get super nervous about things and if i had something coming up where like a, a speech or a presentation or or anything it would be like a full day lost of just worrying about it. Like it, there was no productivity in that day leading up to it. I would either prepare, be preparing for it or be worrying about it. And there was not really much in between. And it's funny now how like, like there's no, I, it, it's so nice because you don't need preparation as much. It's just, it's almost more exciting to not prepare. And I, I think I mentioned this in the past one, just how like with 
doing a podcast or something like being a guest on a podcast. A lot of times people will send questions beforehand or they'll ask if I want them or say I'll, they'll send them over. And I, I usually say like, no, don't worry about it. Like I'd rather do that. And that just happened. There was one that reached out and they were like, Hey, we will, you know, we'll send over a list of our questions, blah, blah, blah. And I was, I, I said, actually, like, I, I'd rather you, you didn't, I'd rather just kind of see, see what hits me in that spot. And like, if, if I told my 16 year old self that we were going to start doing stuff and no preparation and like have the opportunity to prepare and say, no, he'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you, bro? Like, what is going on in your head? Like we're screwed. Like, what if, what if we don't have an answer? Like, what if something doesn't come to us? Like, what if, what if we freeze? What if, what if there's, you know, we, we can't come up with anything. And it's like all of these reasons not to would come up. And it's like, once you go through it enough and sort of build up faith in yourself, it's like, not only do you know that you'll be fine, even if you can't come up with anything, but that doesn't happen as much. And I think it was one or two episodes ago talking about like being afraid of something happening or worrying about something happening. Is that like the reason that it happens like the idea of yourself once you get that out of your out of the way and you're not worried about something bad happening because you know something can't even something superficially bad like almost doesn't happen because it's not even a potential because there just isn't any you like is that idea of you that you're trying to protect causing the thing to happen so it's just fascinating how many things just fall into place sort of when you get yourself out of the way and how many things that that builds resistance to when you have that idea of yourself, it makes it so much more difficult. And there's so many more, there are more things to worry about when you think you are this idea. And that is how you drive your value. Like there, there are things to worry about. So, so when someone's in that mentality, it's almost, you have to have a different conversation about things like worry or fear because they think they are this. And, and as soon as they don't, then it's, then it's like, well, what, what is there to worry about really? But that's not always the initial step. Yeah. It's coming down to where's the fear coming from, right? Like, that's an interesting fear. Where is that coming from? And, and when you're having that conversation, you can't, you can't come at it from the, the point of view. And I know some TikTokers do this. And I'm not going to mention any names, but they kind of come at it from, you know, I'm always happy. This things are great. This is this is just the way it is, and you know you just got to you know accept it this way. That doesn't help anybody. Like it, for the most part, if I when I was suffering, if somebody came up to me who was happy, and went, "Oh yeah, I'm just happy all the time. You can do it too," I would have ignored them. If that person came up to me and they were all happy and went, "I've experienced what you're going through. There's a way out. Different different thing, entirely," and and it's just because. It's not because their intentions are different. It's because of the landing. It's because I'm in a place where I can't see the bridge between where I am and where they are. I need somebody to let me know there's a bridge or at least, you know, there's a bridge potentially in the future that's possible for you to find. I found the bridge. I used to be where you are, that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, coming at it from just, you know, I've never been lost. This is just the way things are. That's more about the person speaking and how they need to see themselves, right? And so 
that's one thing I enjoy about our conversations on here and conversations I tend to have with the people who, who reach out to us um, and even on Patreon. And I want to say this quickly. We had a group talk last Wednesday, and that is currently on our Patreon page. If anybody missed it and you would like to go and listen to what we were discussing, we had a lot of people come in and introduce a lot of topics that, that we hadn't planned on talking about. So the conversation just went in all kinds of different directions. It was a lot of fun. Check out patreon.com slash dualistic unity if you want to get those recordings. I think we're up to about 25 hours of additional content that's on Patreon right now. Definitely check that out. If you enjoy the podcast, then there is a great deal of deeper conversation on the Patreon side, things that we don't necessarily release to the public because for the exact reason that we're talking about right now, not everybody can relate to where we're coming from when we talk about those things. Like when we, today actually we talked about some of the deeper end of things like death and the afterlife and, and reincarnation and all that stuff. And we, we are talking about this now because in season one, we did a great deal of prep work to get here. So if you're still here with us, then we have no doubt that you're already well on your way to understanding what it is we're rambling about and we're glad to have you here. But if you are just coming into the conversation, you haven't watched season one and you do want to get into the deeper stuff, Wednesday, first Wednesday, third Wednesday and fourth Wednesday of the month is the best time to get in touch with us on Patreon because we talk to everybody. We answer questions and we have this conversation face to face. And what's nice about it is that we don't plan it. We don't have any talking points set up. Everybody just kind of shows up and it's an informal chat. We would love to chat with you. Just search us out on Discord and we'll chat with you there too. Yeah, absolutely. I think Discord DMs are probably the best place to reach me. I get, I, I do my best with Instagram DMs, but yeah, Discord, I pretty much always respond within at least a couple of days there. There's a lot less traffic there through those DMs, but um, yeah, Patreon, Patreon has been awesome so far. And yeah, those group chats, yeah, three free live group chats a month. It's a great spot to be and among many, many other things, but, um, yeah, when it comes to having those experiences in the past and not always existing in this sort of state of freedom, it's like one of those things that in the moment, you know, for me, and I know for you, you've talked about your years of experiences in hell like that. It's, it's something I'm grateful for now having gone through it like i would not have the depth or empathy for those sorts of things going through feelings of just extreme nervousness social anxiety worrying all the time like i wouldn't know what that's like so how would i be at any in any position to talk about it at all like it would be very difficult to connect with people and it would just be and I see this sometimes it's clear when people are just coming at it from a conceptual side of it, like they read a book or they understood some concepts and they're kind of just like talking about it. But I feel like those people, you can get away with that. I think making videos for sure, but to have a drawn out conversation or to go on a live and like get asked questions is much more difficult, especially if you're sort of tied to the idea that you're a happy person or like that sort of good vibes only crowd. It's like, how the fuck do you connect with people who are asking you questions? Cause the people that are consuming most of that content are, they're kind of in search for that state. So as Ray just said, like they need to be able to see a bridge. They, they don't want someone just pushing positivity down their throat and like, 
you have no reason to feel bad, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, I get it. I've, I've made up a lot of reasons to feel bad and I've experienced all of them. And I also have experienced another side of things and I definitely prefer the other side, but there is a, there is a path there and it's, it's, it's simple, but it isn't easy in that way. Like it's not, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it is simple, but they are different. They're very, very different things. So I just want to emphasize that I'm not saying that simple means easy, just means that it's not complex, but some people think that it's complex and easy. So it's like complex, but not difficult. Like they, they, I fucking hate when people do this. They, they overcomplicate an idea to a point where they get people to feel like it's so overcomplicated. They're like, well, I need someone I need someone else. I need someone outside of myself to understand this. And I see a lot in like the fitness and nutrition community and things like that. And in spirituality also like a ton of that with some of the fucking narratives out there. It's fucking insane. But anyway, I digress. Um, Yeah. So, so realizing that you don't need anyone outside of yourself. Like we've said it so many times, you could stop listening to our podcast right now. Pause it, never come back, and you would be completely and totally equipped to experience all the things that we are talking about because they're not conceptual. They are experiential. They are available to you every single moment, and that's beauty. It's always right now, and that's it's kind of it. Like that, once you see that and understand that that's what you are, you are not anything leading up to right now. You're nothing after right now because there's nothing else you can experience. That's it. Like everything else kind of starts to make more sense and kind of falls into place, but it's not, it's not as complicated as people make it seem. And you're fully equipped to experience it yourself right now. Yeah. I like what you said about it being simple, not easy, but simple. And it should be at the end of the day, it shouldn't be complicated because that makes it very hard to apply. And so I what's the quote that if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you don't really understand it. So I've spent 20 years trying to figure out how do I explain my illusions simply. And, and it really just comes down to the fiction of me. It comes down to the story I tell myself all the time. And, and that's about as simple as it gets. And it doesn't require belief. It doesn't require mantras or ceremonies or, or anything. It, it's just listening for when you feel off balance, feeling it out, right? And when you feel off balance, when you feel in conflict, when you feel aggravated, ask yourself, am I thinking about myself? And almost always you're going to go, yeah. And you're not going to sound happy about it at first, but then the more you do that, the more you're going to realize, yes, yes, I am. And you're going to let it go. And it changes tone. It changes tone as you go along from oh yeah, I'm thinking about myself and then kind of grudgingly let it go because you were still invested in that thought process to get to something that you thought was going to fulfill you. So there is almost kind of this resentful, like, fine, I'll put the ball down kind of vibe, right? But then after you do that enough, you start realizing that ball was really heavy and I'm actually really enjoying walking around without it. And so now every time you notice you're carrying the ball, it's almost a relief to be able to put it down. It's like, oh, I'm carrying the stupid fucking ball again. And you just put it down and then you continue on with your life. And that's the transition that that happens, but it's just repetition, repetition and clarity, 
right? Relaxation. Relaxation is such a big part of this. And some people will say, you have to meditate. And yeah, okay, you have to meditate. But what is meditation other than just being relaxed enough to be aware of yourself? That's it. So if you can relax, you are in a state of meditation. You don't have to be sitting there, you know, chanting Aum in, in a lotus position. All you have to do is just relax and be aware without any movement whatsoever. You don't have to judge a thought. You don't have to dig into thoughts. You don't have to analyze your thoughts. You just watch them. Just watch them until you realize that you were never them. And there's your freedom. And that's the practice. Yeah, it's, it's very freeing to see that and kind of see beyond the idea of meditation as being this sort of necessity for enlightenment or freedom or peace. It's like, it is an awesome tool. And I think it was definitely a part for me that there was a point where I had to take some time to realize, holy shit, like uh, my mind is loud and noisy and talking all the time. And so at first it's like, you kind of have to recognize it. It's like recognizing the illusion and you're able to see that it's, it's an illusion. So as soon as you recognize it, there's no longer an illusion and, and you see the unity in that, but it's the same with, with your thoughts. If you're, if you're so enthralled and engulfed in them, then you can't see them. There's not that like sort of backseat driver kind of feeling where you're observing them and seeing that, oh, well, if I am observing them, then I'm, that I'm not them. But until you do that, you're, you're so engulfed in them that you think it's, it's you and you think it's what you are, but yeah, being able to see that. And then once you see it, it's like, you can, you know, continue meditating and then sort of see it more frequently. Or if you, you know, have a busy day and just you, if you enjoy it, like you just enjoy sitting down, but it's not something that you have to grind through. It's not like this sort of hustle culture grind. Like I'm a meditator and I set aside 10 minutes every day. It's like, you don't have to, once you see it more clearly, it's probably better to just kind of cut that or, or see that it's just like, oh, this is some time that I have set aside to, you know, chill out for a sec, but like you can be chilled out throughout. And there's so many, it's almost like there's so many bad, like better opportunities to see that, like those aggravated situations you get into and, and any feelings of aggravation are oftentimes the best opportunities to see through those illusions. So, so funny. I think you mentioned this uh, in early in season one, how you had a friend who was meditating and he went over to the house and, you know, his wife is like, she's he's meditating. You're like, all right, cool. Then what the fuck am I going to be interrupting if I come in, you know, banging pants as I walk in the door, like should be able to handle that even better. Right. If he's in a state of meditation, and it's like, people don't recognize that I, that side of it that like, and it's so, it's wild to see people who are meditating and then get like pissed off if someone's being noisy. It's like, this is, they're giving you a better opportunity to meditate right now. So, so seeing that there's just so many opportunities in life throughout the day, like to, to catch yourself when something happens, when you spill something on the table or, or a waiter like gives you the wrong meal at a restaurant, like there's nothing wrong with saying this is the wrong meal. Like, can I have my other meal? But 
like th that's perfectly fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. That's like, if you want your meal, like get your meal, but you don't need to be like, what the hell? Like I didn't order this and like be this like total asshole. Like you can do that without all of that. And that recognizing that in each moment that you have that, those opportunities and seeing that sort of split second choice where, where you have your response as your responsibility, that's where, it, that's where it comes in. And there's so much more opportunity for that throughout the day than I think people recognize sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's just like when we're a kid, right? Like when we're kids and we start running too fast, something's going to happen, right? Or we start playing too hard and we get kind of lost in it. And then all of a sudden one of our friends gets smacked in the face and it's because we're not watching, right? And it's because we've had, we have such a pace going that we're almost like overheating the engine, like something's about to break. And it's just because we're running at such a pace. And so a lot of people use meditation as kind of like the cooling down of the engine period, right? It's like, ah, oh, I'm running too hard. I got to settle down, right? Bring myself back to a point where I'm not causing this much damage, but then they leave meditation and they go straight back into their old mentality. So the car just starts revving again, inevitably trying to build up that speed to the point where now we're causing damage again. And it's because meditation has become, unfortunately, the, the talking point. It's become the selling point to a lot of, of spirituality now. It's like, you just need to meditate for it. You just need to meditate. And then they'll tell you, well, meditation involves, you know, this going through this visualization practice, or it involves following along with this meditation. And so meditation now is the point, but if we don't understand why we're doing meditation, if we don't understand, you know, what meditation is, is doing for us, then it doesn't do anything. Like cooling down the car and then getting back on the road, going to 200 miles an hour again, that's not helping you, right? And so the meditation is supposed to remind you that there is a pace where you're feeling aligned with what is. There's a pace that you can live at where your thoughts do flow easier, where you're not suffering through so much distortion. And then you take that with you. But the meditation is the practice of letting go of your narrative, of letting go of your thoughts, of just being where and what you are. That's it. But if you don't take that practice with you in the rest of your life, like if you're not stuck in traffic, cars are honking, you're delayed by a half hour, you're running late for a meeting, and then you don't stop and go, right, me thinking about being late or all these people behind me honking isn't making the car move any faster, then you're not getting the point because it's not about the meditation. It's about recognizing that you are where you are all the time, regardless of your opinions. Yeah, I almost feel like in our culture, we, especially when when it comes to meditation, we're, we're always so overly analytical of things. And it's like we overestimate, not that meditation doesn't have an impact, like a physical impact on your brain. Like I'm sure that it does, but I feel like we overhype that side of it and like undervalue just the mentality of it. Like we over overestimate the physical changes that we're making, but, but don't recognize that it's not actually the, the sitting down for 10 minutes that matters. It's the other 23 hours and 50 minutes throughout the day where we are experiencing life. And that is where changes are happening. Like we are always changing. We've talked about this so many times before, like always changing and always yourself. So in every single moment you have changed, you are different now than you were at the start of the podcast. You are different now than you were five minutes ago. And so in every single moment, our brains are creating new connections and then neurons. And sure, there's some of that happening 
when you're sitting down to meditate, when you are observing your thoughts, when you recognize that you are not those thoughts, because you can take that time to observe them. But there's so much more opportunity in the other 99.9% of the day to make new connections throughout every experience. And as you experience those things, which are, I don't know, just, it seems like so much more impactful to go through, say, sitting in traffic and, and just being late and, you know, you weren't able to shower and you're freaking out and cars are honking and all that stuff. Like to be able to sit there and be like, oh yeah, getting super pissed off at everyone and everything in the world doesn't change a goddamn thing right now. Like that recognition, that's it. Like that is the crux. And that's what you see through meditation, but like people underestimate that side, like the mentality side of it, like the, the in immeasurable side of it. And they overhype like the measurable side where your brain, whatever part of the brain is like getting bigger or the, the stress side of the brain is getting smaller. And it's like, yeah, but if you go right back to the mentality, maybe for those 10 minutes, it got a little smaller and it just keeps getting bigger like the rest of the day. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that, especially in our, in our culture. Yeah. Well, that's what, what my Sifu used to call the, the inside job, right? Like we, you do the movements physically, but it's what you, what you're thinking and what and the state of mind you're embodying that really alters what the movement does, right? It's saying like, if somebody's afraid and they go to throw a punch, that punch is going to be tense. Like it's going to be super tense. And if you grab that person's wrist and just give it a tug, they go for a, for a, a pretty good jump for sure because they're, they're tense, they're locked right up. Whereas if they're not afraid and they throw a punch, it's nice and loose, you grab it, nothing happens, right? It doesn't help you at all. And, and so again, it comes down to sensitivity. It comes down to just recognizing that the state of mind that you are doing the thing in is more important than the thing that you are doing at the end of the day. I've enjoyed so many jobs of just doing monotonous labor because I didn't have to put any thought into the labor itself, right? I was just going through the motions of the labor, watching my thoughts try to process my part in the labor and then just disregarding those thoughts so I could just keep getting deeper and deeper into the labor. But like you said, it's just like the story of the guy who goes up the mountain to get enlightened, come down, talk to one person and goes back up the mountain, right? If you're not facing it in your day-to-day -day life, if you're not looking at your frustrations as an opportunity, to see where you're still holding on to things that are causing conflict, then you're always going to run back to meditation and you're always going to end up feeling like you shouldn't, you're not meditating enough. It's always going to feel like that because you can't meditate 24 hours a day to the point of never being in conflict with reality. What you can do is recognize that in a state of awareness, that is what we are practicing in meditation. You can diminish the amount of conflict that you are experiencing and causing for yourself. That's really all it's about, though, is just recognizing that awareness in the moment without overcommitment to a narrative based on your preferences and fears is the best thing that you can do for not just your life, but everybody else's as well. Yeah, for sure. People like sometimes my family or, or friends will ask, like, do you ever want to be a monk or something? And I'm like, fuck no, that sounds super boring, basically. And like, I don't think God, as us, chose to experience this illusion of duality to just sit there with their eyes closed for, you know, 20 hours a day or, or 12 hours a day or, or whatever. Like it, it's for the experience like that. But 
Yeah, it's uh, so yeah, it's interesting when people just build up this idea of enlightenment. That's kind of the same thing. It's like people build it up and, and they think they just have to be very calm and just like relaxed and and have no sorts of reactions or emotions ever. And it's like, that's not, that's not the point. Like, that's not it. It's not this sort of specific mentality that you have to be in. It's just that mentality of understanding that you're never anywhere else than you are right now. And the only thing you can ever experience is right now. So there, it's not about what you're doing. It's, it's the mentality in which you are doing it in, but kind of similar to that, something else I wanted to bring up, cause this hit me today and I made a video about it was just the idea of, of money. And it's been something I've just been kind of like chewing on a little bit recently and, and how even, even this, just the debate, and this isn't really about the debate of whether money can or can't buy happiness. I think my opinion on that is like, yeah, it can, I think to a degree, like I'm not going to sit here as someone who has never really had to, you know, been in the shitter with money and say like, oh, money doesn't buy happiness. Like that classic meme that like attracts people say it looks don't matter. Rich people say money doesn't matter. That sort of bullshit. So I think, yeah, to a degree, like if you're in a situation where you're have very little money, there is a level, but I think that level is, is a lot lower than a lot of us in the US or first world countries typically live in. But I think, so that's not really what this is about. This is about the understanding that once you have a lot of money, it doesn't guarantee happiness. And that, I don't know why it never really hit me in the way it did until today, but I was, I don't even remember. I don't even know if I was listening to something. I was just walking my dog and it kind of hit me like, yeah, like money, I don't know, maybe it can, maybe it can't buy like a little bit of happiness or maybe it has to do with it, whatever. But like, if you have a lot of money, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be happy because experiencing the moment and being fully aware of, of what is, that's kind of like, I, I had this on a, when I was on a trip, I was kind of contemplating all the things I've thought of in my life as being sort of like peak accomplishment or whatever. And all I went through all of these sorts of things, whether it's like, you know, going on dating a girl I really liked or getting into a school I really liked or being on making the baseball team that I wanted to make or anything sort of like that. And it was like, no, not that. No, not that. No, not that. And it's like, it always comes back to just experiencing the moment that you're in, like the peak of life is right now every time, because it's the only thing there ever is. So like, what else could it possibly be? And so seeing that it's like, just because you have a lot of money doesn't guarantee that you're in a mentality that you can appreciate it. And I think you, you've definitely brought this up talking about past life coaching clients you've had that have had a lot of money and they still like, if you go on vacation and you're not in the mentality where you can even appreciate the vacation, no matter how many vacations you could take, you're not going to enjoy it. So like people get so caught up in just like getting more money, but they, they forget that just because they get a lot of money doesn't guarantee that they're going to be happy because the only thing you can ever experience is right now. So therefore, if you're not in a mentality or a state or haven't developed a, a sort of awareness of that understanding, you could have infinite amounts of money and you won't be happy. It'll always elude you because you're always outside of what you're experiencing. You're always in a state or a mentality of like, you need more. Like say you do get a ton of money and you're like, compare yourself to 
John down the street and he has more money. And you're like, well, fuck, I, I, I don't have as much as him. And, and, um, oh, I, I heard a quote recently. I even tweeted it. Um, it was something, it was like comparison is the death of joy, something like that. And I really liked it, but that's kind of related to this, but yeah, just the idea that like money, just because you have money doesn't mean it guarantees happiness, whether or not it buys it, not, not the debate I was having. It was like, just the idea that just because you have money doesn't guarantee that you're going to be happy. So I found that interesting. For sure. More money, more problems, right? Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, that's the case. I mean, I know some of the happiest times in my life were when, were when I was actually very poor. And it's because you have to make do, which sucks on, on one level. But on the other hand, it frees up a lot of time and thought, right? Because it's like, okay, this is the couch that I could afford. I'm going to make that couch last as long as possible. There's really no point in me thinking about another couch. And so I don't, right? Whereas if I had an extra 10 grand, now I'm looking for the right couch. It's gonna fit my apartment just right. If I don't get the right couch, doesn't have the right warranty, should have got another couch. Now I've got this whole mess of stuff happening in my head. And so money does not bring happiness at all. If anything, it brings complications. It gives you the ability to avoid being present you know, to, to a greater degree, to some degree, because if you want something, you can just go get it. You don't actually have to deal with the want. You don't have to deal with, with the lack where it's coming from. So you can spend your entire life just satisfying all of your whims and never growing at all, thinking that satisfying your whims is the point of reality or is the point of living. And that, that's very much what our culture is all about, right? Is that, well, if you can't get everything you want, obviously you're not a success. Being a success has nothing to do with getting everything you want, has everything to do with being able to do the most with what you have, right? So that has nothing to do with money. That has everything to do with faith in yourself, being in the moment, allowing your intelligence to act without your interference, all of that fun stuff that unleashes your potential, right? So no money or any other thing will never make you happy. It will facilitate your already existing happiness or it will make it more and more difficult for you to get to that happiness because you're investing in the illusion of happiness, which is the problem with control, which is what money represents. It seems almost like it just, like so many things, exacerbates the emotions that you're experiencing. Like whatever it is, if you're in a mentality, so it's hard, like, I don't know, sometimes it, it and I don't know, I don't really enjoy going back and forth with people especially if they're coming from a place where they're like well i don't have very much money and i'm not happy and money a lot like on that video a lot of people commented like money allows for freedom and freedom derives happiness and my responses were like well no amount of money or freedom guarantees happiness you could be the freest and the richest person in the world it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be happy like that my, my video is not about whether or not what money brings, whether money brings freedom, which brings happiness or any of that. It's just acknowledging that money doesn't guarantee any of those things. And it's, it's the mentality and, and state that you're existing in. And, and so I don't know, but sometimes it seems like people who like, do you think that someone who, for example, doesn't have a ton of money if they get, I guess we see that a lot with, with like lottery winners or something that 
that because they're in a mentality, X mentality, they get a ton of money and they lose it all very quickly, like within a couple of years consistently. It's not like a one-off thing that like a lot of them keep it, whatever. It's like very consistently they lose it because it's not about the money. It's about the mentality and the state that you're in is what it seems like. But I don't know. Sometimes I have a tough time being like, like saying that out loud as someone who, I don't know, hasn't had a ton of struggles in that realm in my life. So I just feel kind of weird talking about it sometimes, but I don't know, maybe that's just a me thing. (laughs) No, I mean, it makes sense. It's like anything that people invest in as the end result that will lead to the end of my suffering. If you go along and say, well, actually, that's not going to lead to the end of your suffering. A lot of the time, what you'll get is shut up, which is pretty much the, you know, the typical response to that. It's like, you know, I've invested my whole new life towards this end result. How dare you tell me that it's not, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that I've made it out to be. And it doesn't matter if it's money or God or heaven. It doesn't matter what it is. It's the fact that they are invested in this thing being responsible for their state of mind, because the alternative is that they are responsible for their state of mind, right? Nobody likes that, that, uh, that answer in general, just because then it's on us, then we can't blame anything, then we can't say, well, if I just had the right ingredients, then I'd be happy. Because what we're very much saying is that you can have all the right ingredients, but if you don't have the right state of mind, you're still not going to enjoy the cake, you're still not going to enjoy making the cake or eating the cake or sharing the cake or anything, because your negative state of mind is making it making it very difficult for you to do so. And, and that is probably one of the hardest lessons that I've ever had to take because when I was younger, I, I really, I suffered through a lot of self-loathing and hatred and, and, and I judged myself for my life and everything else. And eventually I had to realize that I couldn't change the life that I had been born into, but I could change my response to it. I could change what I was learning from it. And in that, I suddenly saw my life in a whole other way. And even now, like when I have memories, when they pop up, I find new perspectives of those memories. And so the past that I once judged as being a source of pain and and a source of poverty and a source of lack and, and everything that was keeping me down has now become just this endless well of insight and knowledge, because I can keep looking back to it, seeing it in a new perspective, and therefore changing the whole purpose of the memory, the entire purpose of the experience each and every time. But if we are too busy judging those experiences, then that's all we're going to get out of it. We're only going to see our judgment. It's not until we let go of our assumption about the experience and about what it meant about us that we can actually see more, more opportunities and more openings, just like we were saying earlier. It's very freeing realization when, and, and I've, I've talked about this before, just the idea of influence versus control and the idea that you have semblance of influence over your response to not only the external, but the internal, like the emotions that you experience. Maybe you don't technically have control of which ones come up, but you do have influence over how you respond to them. And you don't have to respond to them in any specific way, just like you don't have to respond to anything externally in a certain specific way. And I think that is sort of like the crux of experiencing peace and and finding that or not finding it because it's always there, but like just experiencing it. And like 
you know, when you're walking outside and it, there's shitty weather outside, recognizing that you have a choice in that moment of how you respond to it. You, you have the choice to say, fuck this shit. Like this sucks. Like, Oh, this weather's so terrible. Like why has it got to be raining? But then you also on the flip side can say like, Oh, this is what it is. I'm here. I can go inside if I want to, but here I am. I am experiencing this moment right now. And when you relinquish the resistance to what is and understand that you can't change what is like you can work towards change moving forward in a way through influence, but like right now in this moment, you can't change this moment. And so talking about things like acceptance versus resistance, like acceptance is always step number one. And people hate that when they bring up, you know, a certain like fucked up situations, like, you know, being sexually abused or something like that, or any sort of abuse, something like that. Like people are like, well, no, how could I accept it? It's like, well, if you right now, that is the situation. If you resist that, then it's like, you're saying this isn't happening. You can't change it from there. There is no potential to drive change because you can't even accept that it's happening. But the moment you accept that it's happening, you recognize that there is opportunity and, and potential options you have, or you know, options, but actions you can take to move towards change in that situation. But until you accept it and recognize it, there aren't those options because you're resisting it and then you can't see beyond it and, and that it, it is what it is. Like it is what it is. That is one of the most powerful statements I think there is out there. It's so simple and so kind of common, but it really is like this moment cannot be changed. It can, you can have influence over it in order to sort of move towards change in a way, but like it, things can't be any different than they are right now. It's impossible because they are what they are right now. And accepting that changes what is that's the funny part about it so you can't change what is until you accept that you are what is and then what is has changed which is always kind of the fun part about that but what's interesting and i've had this this debate with people before because obviously this point of view goes contrary to how a lot of people feel about mental health what they would say is well i have such and such a disorder and that stops me from being responsible or that stops me from being able to be responsible in how I react. And I'm specifically referring to something like say bipolar disorder. Um, that's a good example, actually. It's like, I have bipolar disorder, therefore, you know, I can't be responsible for, for my mood swings. And it's like, well, no, it's just that you experience different mood swings. Like you experience a different conscious environment. You are still responsible for how you respond to it. It's just more important for you to be aware of that conscious environment. And that's where you'll get more influence over it. But I, I've worked with people in the past who came to me with a, a definite diagnosis of bipolar disorder, in some cases, like just extreme. And as we worked together, we started to realize that the more responsible one is willing to be for the, the, the fluctuation back and forth, the less that fluctuation tends to to uh, influence them and it's not that you're you're saying like oh so it's my fault it's not about fault it's just recognizing that the swings are within you 
the swings back and forth are within you and therefore you have the ability to be more sensitive to them arriving uh, what's happening while they're while it's happening to you and how you respond to it throughout the entire course of that experience it's just about deepening and deepening and deepening that awareness right one thing i thought was really interesting i ran across this on tiktok uh, there was a gentleman who suffers from schizophrenia and rather than medicating he's just accepted that he suffers from schizophrenia and sees hallucinations and instead of resisting the hallucinations and insisting that you know a normal person wouldn't have these hallucinations what he does is he uses his cell phone because he's realized that the hallucinations don't show up on the video screen and so when he goes about his day-to-day -day life he just holds up the video screen to see if what he's seeing is actually there and then he modifies accordingly he's not resisting what he's going through he's just using the tools that are at his disposal to respond to it differently that is fascinating. Yeah. Talking to talk about using the tools at your disposal that you have and moving with what is and sort of flowing with things. That's, that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I liked the point you mentioned about responsibility versus fault. And I heard a story kind of related to this, just a quick one, just about how, you know, if, if, for example, say like a baby gets dropped off at your doorstep, and someone just leaves it, rings the door, runs away. Like, it's not your fault that that baby was put on your doorstep, but it is now your responsibility. Like, that is, it, it's not something, like, if you close the door and leave it there, like, that is your, still your responsibility to take some action, whether it's just bringing it to a shelter or, or however you deal with something like that. Like, and that's the difference. And, and sometimes people don't recognize that, that, just because something isn't your fault doesn't mean it isn't your responsibility. Just because something's your responsibility doesn't mean that it's your fault. And, and being able to see that provides a little bit more space and clarity and freedom to not feel like it's such a burden, but sort of see it more as an opportunity <laughs> or just like sort of a reframing of things because I feel like people don't like feeling like they're burdened with something, but it's, it's an opportunity for growth and, and a new sort of experience. And I think the more you experience that and the more you experience that sort of clarity and, and understanding that you don't have control, but you have influence, it, it comes full circle to, to appreciating that influence so much more than you did when you thought you had control or this illusion of control. And someone was commenting today on one of my videos, it was about how control, I forget exactly what it was, but it was like, you can't, something about not being able to predict the future. Um, and so you don't know what's good or bad and you can't control, you don't have control over, over those things. And they said, well, if I don't feel like I have some semblance of control, like, or they said something like, well, people with anxiety, if they don't feel like they have some semblance of control, then they'll get, you know, that anxiety will go crazy. And, and I don't, I don't remember if I responded to that one. I think I might've just seen it and just like been scrolling and just been like, I, I don't have time to respond to that right now, but um, it's, it's interesting because, because people will immediately go to like, you don't understand what it's like for me. You don't get it, you know, as you're not someone who experiences things, how I do, it's like, no one's going to stop you from doing that. Like no one's going to force you to not act like that. But as someone who has gone through feelings of when I felt like I didn't have control, I would freeze. Like I would not know, I would have feel like I 
couldn't do anything. Like I couldn't move, couldn't speak. And as someone who's experienced that, I know that relaxing into the understanding that that's always the case. It's not like sometimes you have it. And then if you don't, you're fucked. It's like, you never had it. So the more you realize that, the more you can see that like, you're fine. If you feel like you lost it, you're fine because you've never had it to begin with. So recognizing that changes everything because you're no longer trying to cling to it. It's just a relaxation and understanding that it was never there to begin with. So there's not like this, okay, I feel good. Oh my God, I don't have it. I feel anxious. It's like, there isn't as much of that. It's just kind of a steady, like, oh yeah, I don't have it now. And I never did. And that's okay. And I've done it before and I'll be fine. Yeah. It's funny. I, uh, I remember at one point I ended up in a bit of a social media argument with, uh, I think it was the society for, for dealing with anxiety or, or, or something like that. And it was because they had released this video with all of these, these tips on how people with anxiety could do certain things to give them a sense that they have more control over their life. Just little things to help them feel like they have more control over their life. And, and I responded, I'm like, how, how do you think this is going to help somebody suffering from anxiety if their commitment to control is what's creating the anxiety? Aren't we just making it worse, right? And of course, the people I'm talking to are committed to control in their own lives, which is always funny when somebody is telling you that something's going to work while they are in fact already demonstrating how afraid they are because of that thing, right? And so that was, that was the crux of it, is that you know, control is the end result that I have committed to, just like God, just like money, right? And so I can't question that thing because that's my path to happiness. If I question it, I'm never gonna get there. And it's like, but until you question it, you're going to continue to suffer the consequence that it is bringing you and you can't see it. That's cognitive dissonance in a nutshell, right? We just don't want to see it because seeing it would require us to question everything. And that is incredibly uncomfortable. And so we will just stay comfortably unhappy on the same, using the same strategy over and over and over again, except like we were saying in season one, just doubling down on it chasing our losses, just like you would in a gambling addiction, right? It's like, oh, that didn't work this time, double down. Let's run it again, right? And they do all the time, no matter how many times control fails us, no matter how many, time, how many times our efforts to control leaves us in anxiety, we always return to it. And we always return to it because on the surface, it appears to make sense if you see yourself as separate. If you identify, just like you said, one begets the other. If you're identifying, you're immediately going to invest in the idea of control because the two go hand in hand. Whereas if you question your identity, you have no choice but to question control because you're questioning division. Yeah, so it makes me think that like people who aren't talking about this, like aren't having this conversation, how identity isn't truth, like it's kind of like the, the self-help stuff. Like it almost makes me think, are people actually being helped by remaining in the illusion, but getting told that stuff, like those ideas of little ways to feel more control, or you just have to do this or just have to do that. And like, because almost everyone is committed to identity and isn't 
going beyond that and recognizing that identity is the crux, like, is anyone else not to say that like, oh, our podcast is so fucking good that we're the only ones helping anyone, blah, 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 blah. Like, <laughs> yeah, not like that. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud kind of like if no one else is, or most people aren't recognizing that, not to say no one else, but like a lot of people out there talk about this stuff, but don't recognize that illusion of duality. Don't recognize that identification isn't truth. Like it may seem like they're helping and it might feel like people are getting helped when they're listening to it or watching it. But if it's still rooted in that, like, is it actually helping? Like, uh, it seems like it's, it's not. And that's crazy. Like, that's so fascinating because there's so many people who like, they have to be helping a little, right? (laughs) They're they're helping to manage. I I mean, in the same way that you you could take an addict and give them a certain amount of the drug just to keep them even without them ever actually giving up the drug. And and that's the thing is that they're helping them cope, but they're never helping them get over the addiction. Yeah. So even someone like, I don't know, I haven't, I've, I've come across like Tony Robbins, for example, a few times, but I've never, I don't know his stuff well enough to be like, oh yeah, he's good at this, not good at this. Like I get this, I don't get that. Like I'm able to see that a little more with like Eckhart Tolle because I've read a lot more of his stuff and and watched a lot more of him. But yeah, so like someone like Tony Robbins, is he, do you think he's helping people manage more so? Or what what is, have you come across him enough to have a strong opinion on him? So yeah, okay. I'm curious what that For is. For <laughs> sure. I've been aware of Tony Robbins since like the late eighties. Um, Tony Robbins is great. If you are suffering through apathy and a feeling of powerlessness in your life that you don't think that you can get momentum and get moving. I mean, and that's helpful, but again, it's through that feeling of control. It's through that, that, that strategy of, you know, you just got to want it bad enough. You got to work hard enough. You got to be up before everybody else. You got to be the last person on the job. You got to, and that's Tony Robbins as, as a whole, as he's just a bulldozer, man. Like it's like, Oh, there's an obstacle drive right through it. And that's great. That's super empowering. But he's commented many times on how he does not understand meditation. He does not understand the point of not thinking. And it's because to him, the end result is the point, right? Constantly being on the journey is the point. So there's no peace in that, right? There, there's self-confidence, which he does not lack, right? I would, I would take Tony Robbins and I would stick him on any job site and just go, go, do your thing, right? But I would worry about him when the job is done and everybody's just kind of sitting quietly. I would be the first person to go up and talk to, to somebody like that because I know that they, they thrive on that feeling of emotion, right? It's the settling down that's difficult. And that's the only thing about Tony Robbins that, that I would warn people about is that life is not about the end result. You don't have to go walking over some hot coals to prove to yourself how strong you are, right? And it's not going to do anything. It's just one symbolic action. It's taking it with you in the rest of your life. I've known many people who have actually went to meet Tony Robbins and have went to his retreats. And, and it's always the same thing, you know, feeling empowered, but that's not the same as feeling at peace, right? It's not the same as feeling aligned with your life. It's still that I can change everything to what I want it to be. So he's not actually helping you get past the want. 
And so he's not actually helping you get past the lack. He's just telling you how to drive harder so you can get the illusion that you think is going to make you happy. Okay. That makes sense. Cause yeah, when I have come across him, it always seems like he, it, it kind of does feel like that. Like he isn't able to appreciate what just like what is there. It's always about something, you know, accomplishing a goal or, or getting to a certain point. And yeah, I can't imagine picturing him just being at a job site when the job's done. I just picture him like kind of pacing or just like getting up and giving a motivational speech afterwards. Just be like, we got more. We, you got more in you. Dig deeper. It's like, bro, we finished. Like I'm going home to like hang out with my family and, and just like chill out for a bit. And he just like keeps pacing around. Like can't even kind of like energizer bunny type thing, but yeah. And yeah, I, I, I see that. And, and part of it is also like recognizing that there's nothing wrong with that either too. It's just seeing through and recognizing there's nothing wrong with it, but like everything else, there's no right or wrong, but there are consequences to every, to everything. So I think that's, that's where the clarity comes in, but yeah. Cause if, if you, not that, not that you want to get to a, the goal is to get to a point where you can sit back and appreciate. Like, I think we've been clear about that, that like being in that sort of flow of just alignment with life and enjoyment and whatever you're doing, it doesn't really matter. So in that way, there's not really similar to him where he's always kind of going, grinding, thinking, getting somewhere, doing something. It's kind of not that different but also it's like a different mentality of it. It's like derived by needing to get there and, and deriving your value from getting there as opposed to recognizing that your value is unchanged no matter where you go. There is no difference in value. It's just that end point is, is a direction, but it's not a destination that you need to accomplish. It's, it's an option. Exactly. And if you were to look at uh, Tony Robbins' general theme, according to the, the chart in Power Versus Force, Power Versus Force says very clearly that one of the, the defining lines between our mentality is the, the market 200, which is the, the uh, transition to courage, where you're no longer doing it for the carrot or the stick. Tony Robbins is firmly just before that in pride. Right? Like when you're listening to Tony Robbins, it's you can accomplish this. You can get this. You can do this. And that makes you worthwhile. That will show you your value. And the problem with pride is pride goeth before the fall, right? As always. And it's because what you're proud of could potentially be taken away from you. The source of your pride could be diminished. You could make a mistake. And so your, your momentum, your value is still always at risk. That is the danger behind that entire mentality. But again, when I was younger, Tony Robbins was a huge influence over me because I was in the business world. I was trying to get sales. I was doing all that. I was like, gotta get them, get them, set goals, do all that thing. And you know, what I recognized was that it helped me get a really good head of steam while still leaving me feeling very, very empty on the inside. Yeah, and I think that's the most important recognition. And yeah, because... People do get like, I feel like everyone gets caught up in that mentality of, of needing 
to go somewhere. And it, it almost is fascinating to see if you have a conversation with someone and they don't have a sort of goal or destination or sort of feeling like, um, I don't know, did you see the TikTok Sophie put in Discord today about uh, the work world? And okay, it's interesting. And, and it talks about how there's like the great resignation and, and people leaving, but it talked about this sort of other side that I found myself on a little bit recently is like, you don't have to quit, but you also can like, don't have to go above and beyond and make work like your, it's almost like you don't have to make work your sense of value and recognize, because I think a lot of people get caught up in that. And that's why it's just this grind mentality. And I found that if you're not working for that carrot and you're not just striving constantly for that promotion, like work kind of gets a little bit easier because you're not always trying to prove yourself and your value and your work. And it would have been tougher for me to do before, but I've, you know, I've been promoted at my job a couple of times and I recognize that like, I have, I have, my salary is plenty to cover everything. And yeah, sure. I could do a lot of extra work to get maybe a 10 to 15% raise. And then I would, you know, be able to save more, sure, but then I wouldn't be able to spend as much time like doing all my content and doing dualist community and all that stuff. So it's finding that balance for you. But I think on that point, I also in the video, it just basically talks about that, how you can you can kind of chill in your job and you don't have to quit, but if you kind of chill, like <laughs> just seeing that corporations like need a lot of employees right now. A lot of them are, are sort of lacking in that department. So the odds of you getting fired are very low. And the guy making the video even recognized he was like, people who are higher up in companies are probably not going to like this video very much. But I'm just pointing out that that is sort of the reality. And so to that point, I also kind of went, I think a couple of months ago to the point where I was like bare, bare minimum. And that didn't feel very good either because I also recognized that it's like, not that I, that not that I need to do a good job to experience fulfillment and everything, but there's a certain level, I think where it's like, Oh, I could, I could be doing more. Cause it wasn't even like I was spending every second doing other stuff, like doing content. Like I do a lot. I spent a lot of time on that, but there was still like, it got to a point where I was like, oh, well, I'm not trying to get promoted. So like, I hardly have to do anything. <laughs> but I've found now a sort of balance where I am focused for a lot of my day on that stuff, but I'm not, you know, I, we start this at five Eastern time. That's technically like when my hours end based on how I get paid, like I go offline on Slack and stuff and I don't feel bad at all. And so it's it's finding that balance for you and it's going to be different for everyone. But I think a lot of people in corporate America or corporate, you know, Canada or, or whatever get caught up in the side of, of putting in so much time and feeling like they need that to derive their value as opposed to recognizing that that's not where their value is derived. Their whole now and, you know, maybe you can do a little bit less and have a little more enjoyment of this time and experience that you have here and now. Yeah, work to live, not live to work. 
Uh, that's exactly it. And it's, it's changing now. I, I'm finding this really interesting to watch because of course we have the great resignation and we have this phenomenon that happened with, with COVID, which is that all these people started working at home. And, and of course, employers are, are, are getting a little cranky about that right now. They're like, we want all of you to come back to the office. And it's because we can't watch you. We can't monitor all of the time that you have during the day. We can't make sure that you're staring blankly at your computer screen in your cubicle, not working, but at least you're looking like you're working. Like, And, and it's so ridiculous. It's just because there's that whole we're paying you, we should, we should own you, right? And, and on the other hand, we, because we've had so much time outside of those environments, because the last couple of years have changed our perspective, not just about work, but priority. Like all of a sudden there's a pandemic, everybody starts thinking, well, shit, if I die, you know, what's really important to me? And so all of a sudden work is not up there on that list, right? And like paying the bills, sure. Right. But not like impressing the boss and, you know, making an employee of the month, you know, like, oh, that that's just out the window. And, and so the system is very much changing. But on the other token, I will say like dualistic unity. I have no no problem at all. Just putting in hours and hours and hours on dualistic unity without any pay whatsoever. So what's the difference there? Right. And it's because my work is something that I have to do to live in a system that makes no sense. Right. Whereas dualistic unity is something that I love to do, that I see making sense and having an impact and it's fulfilling and it's rewarding and it's contributing to the world. Like everything about dualistic unity resonates with who I am as a person. Right? Whereas work, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of, of like, you know, millions of dollars or, or, or a claim by my boss or anything like that. All of that, it, it, it's not rewarding. What is rewarding for me and the reason that I put in a good day's work regardless is because I can, I agreed to, when I took the job, I gave my word, I'm a good employee and I'm going to do a good job because I like to do a good job, right? So it's not about them at all. It's about me. And that changes the relationship with work as well. It changes how you're willing to interact with them to a great degree. Um, previous job that I had, it was, it was funny because I ended up having a, a bit of a, a disagreement with their graphic design department. And when I say disagreement, basically I had been hired to take over this company's uh, marketing department and I contacted the graphic designer and he immediately just lost his shit. He's basically like, why should I have to listen to you? I want to talk to the boss, blah, 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 blah. And, and so he took this very hard-nosed approach against me and I kind of went, fine, I'll have the boss call you in a few minutes. And then we'll talk later and it's going to be super uncomfortable for everybody because of, of how you're reacting to me right now. So he ends up talking to the boss. The boss passes him off to the general manager. The general manager comes to me and says, well, you know, you don't understand the relationship. This graphic designer has been with us for a long time and, you know, he always gets what he wants and we'd really like you to apologize. And I just laughed in his face. I'm like, yeah, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And what's funny is that I know previously when I was younger, I would have to keep the job. I would have in order to impress my boss. I would have in order to keep the security. But at that moment, it was very clear. No, I'm not going to do that because if you're going to fire me over this, then this was never the job for me to begin with. If we're going to play this kind of game, it's definitely not the job for me. Right. And the fact is I can walk out of here right now and find something else if I really put my mind to it. And that changed the entire experience I had at that job and every other job I've had since I, I came to that realization that my existence is the important part. I'm working to keep my existence going. 
I don't exist for work. Yeah, that's powerful. So how did that, how did that situation end up then? <laughs> After that, did they just say, all right, well, uh, I guess that's how it's going to be. No, actually, he ended up making an even bigger stink about it. it ended up, what ended up happening was that he demanded I apologize, to which they went, he's not going to do that. And so because the owner of the company had no spine, didn't want to stand up to the graphic designer, they ended up creating almost like a chain of communication between him and me. So there's like two or three buffers between like me sending the message and him receiving the message. And it was funny because they were, they were like retooling my requests to make it sound like, well, I know you're busy and important and all of this stuff. And it's like, I never wrote any of that. <laughs> what is happening here? And it was just because he was a bit of a diva, right? Like it was very much, he was, you know, I'm the best of the best. And, 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 and he wasn't, that was the funniest part about it. It's just that he was existing within an environment where everybody in that company just kept catering to his demands, catering to his ego. And all that, that happened over time was that ego continued to get inflated, continued to get bigger until he met somebody who just didn't give a shit. And then he came in to some serious conflict with reality and it messed up his entire career, man. Like the, the rest of that year was hard for him. I had fun though. Yeah, it's incredible when people get these inflated egos, just the amount of mental gymnastics that company had to do because that dude's self was getting in the way. And we see it the same way in our lives. Like, we have to do so much mental gymnastics when the idea of ourselves is so prevalent. When we think the idea of ourselves is who we are, we have to, you know, if someone's talking shit or, or it feels like they're judging us, like we have to do, go through all these things and like, well, no, cause they, they weren't because of this, or if they are like, screw them, they're a piece of shit. Like they don't know what they're talking about anyway. Like they, they're such a loser. Cause I, did this and they haven't done that and blah, blah, blah. And it's like all this shit just like in our head and no one else is experiencing it whatsoever. Well, you know, they are and they aren't, but it's like, it's so funny how often, like I'll just be walking and thinking like, wow, everyone I'm walking past is experiencing the same thing differently, but at the same way, just because of their individual perceptions and their judgments that they are layering on like everyone right now like especially walking through new york on a crowded street like everyone has a different story going through their head entirely different none of them are exactly the same but it's all the same experience that we're all experiencing so recognizing things like that it makes it so much clearer that like everything just is and our judgments are never the truth like when you recognize how many there are going on at once you can so clearly see that yours isn't the truth because there's an infinite amount of other ones that are about the same exact thing that you're looking at or hearing or thinking about so how could yours be the truth it's kind of like kind of like religion and and all the gods out there like there's so fucking many of them how do you really think yours is yours is the one your sky daddy is is all knowing daddy like come on exactly well it's it's kind of funny a, a friend of mine once once uh, compared this, this insight to us all being eyeballs on the same mind, right? Because if you hold your finger out in front of you and you close one eye and you look at it with the eye that's open, and then you close that eye and you open the other one, they're both looking at the same finger from a slightly different perspective. So they're seeing different fingers and they're arguing and they can argue over those different fingers. 
despite the fact that it's the same damn finger from a different perspective, right? And so whenever you're walking through New York, what you're looking at is a bunch of your own eyeballs looking at yourself from different perspectives, <laughs> right? And it's amazing when, when you really take it in as that, because that is why perception is not truth, right? Perception is just one angle one abstract piece of the truth that can give you some context and may give you a slightly larger feel for what the truth is that you can then try to describe conceptually, but you can never truly describe conceptually because the truth itself is beyond all perceptions and all dualistic explanations. It's just what it is, you basically. Yeah, I've thought about that idea or analogy before of just how, we're all the same thing, like looking at it, looking at everything, looking at ourselves from through different lenses, like that's it. And when you, when you see that you're not your story, it becomes so much clearer because that is it. Like it's, it almost is so obvious. And I think you, you've said that about your earlier videos, like from 2005 that you, you just got caught up in, in the thinking that like, this is so fucking obvious. Like, how does not everyone see this? And it's like, well, you got to see past some certain, certain things first. It's not just this thing that's so obvious because everyone's seeing it through a veil. Like you got to take the veil off first. And if you don't, if the veil is still on then it's super difficult to see, like it's, like borderline impossible with the veil on. So you have to take the veil off, but, but yeah, once you do, like, it's so obvious, but it's funny because like as obvious as it is and it obvious as obvious as it seems in moments of clarity, like it isn't always like that. Like it goes back and forth. Like you get caught up. It's such a fucking good illusion. You still get caught up all the time in taking it as truth and thinking that, Oh, this is, the truth. This isn't an illusion. This is reality because it's such a strong illusion that everyone has settled on and everyone believes to be the truth. So it's, it's just very powerful in that way. But in moments of clarity, it is very obvious. Yeah. Well, and what's funny is that as you practice, as you get used to it, as you start to find your balance and you get less and less involved with the illusion and all of that other stuff, and you really start to see very clearly that it is an illusion. It loses all of its glamour. It's no longer enticing for the reasons that it used to be. Well, then all of a sudden you start going, huh, what illusion can I get lost in today? And it's because you're no longer afraid of them. You're no longer um, going to get lost in them to the point where you, can, you can't find your way out right? Because you have that level of balance, that level of clarity, but it takes practice to get there. That, and that's it. But once you're practiced, then it's, you know, you, you get into an argument with somebody at the store. You don't take it personally. At the end of the argument, you're like, that got kind of heated. Sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever it might be, but you don't take it personally. It's just what it is. So you can go through an experience where you're frustrated with work and laughing at yourself for being frustrated with work at the exact same time. And it's because you don't have any opinion of the experience. It's just the experience that it is. And then it passes and then you find yourself back in clarity. And that, that's really it is, is we were talking about peace earlier on. Peace is not being afraid of yourself at the end of the day, regardless of what form you might take. And that's really what we're trying to do. And, and that's just a matter of perspective and clarity. Yeah, that idea of, of getting in an argument at 
the grocery store and just not judging yourself for doing so and being able to let it go like that is closer to peace or, you know, the idea of enlightenment than someone who just refuses to get in arguments to begin with, I feel like. And that's, that's something I've appreciated with just having conversations with you is, is recognizing that because I definitely got caught up in that. And so many spiritual people I see on TikTok are just like, you know, no confrontation, like, you know, ultimate pacifist, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like, and that's where I see Eckhart Tolle kind of seems like he maybe would struggle with that a little bit in that, and with, you know, spiritual people on TikTok that they're afraid of getting in a situation like that because they don't have, and it's almost like they don't have enough faith in themselves to think that they could handle it quite frankly. And, and, but being able to get lost in it and, and get tied up in it for a bit and forget for a second that you're just talking to yourself and, and yelling at yourself and arguing with yourself, but then being able to recognize it and be like, Oh yeah, I'm just talking to myself. Yeah. Silly me. And then be able to move on without judging and being like, Oh God, I shouldn't do that. Like I'm such a bad spiritual person. Cause shouldn't get into arguments and blah, 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 whatever other shit you come up with. Like that's it. it it's being able to put it down once it's done. Once, once that isn't your here and now it isn't with you anymore. And it's easier said than done. Cause I get that I hold on to some of that shit way longer than, than that. But once you do, whether it's immediately or after two hours, once you recognize it and you let it go, like that's it. That's, that's the recognition right there. That is, that is peace. That is clarity and, or enlightenment or whatever. And it's not, there's no measurement to it. It's just catching it in the moment as you catch it, letting it go, whether it's immediately or the next day, even, and not judging yourself one way or the other. Because being at peace has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to agree or disagree with people. Right. I think that's the whole thing is that you can argue with somebody, walk away from that argument, go, oh yeah, I took that way too seriously. And what's interesting is you could beat yourself up for having the argument. There's no real point to doing so because it happened. It is what it is. It's what you do from it from now when you have that moment. Or you can recognize that that's how change happens. That is literally how people learn to change is that we encounter one another, we challenge one another, then we walk our own distances and then that, those waves subside and we find ourselves with a new sense of equilibrium. Right, but we confuse spirituality with comfort. Right, we choose. We confuse awareness with you know eternal happiness, and it's they're not the same. Right, it's that we surrender our biases, we surrender our assumptions. Right, if you're going to have a confrontation with somebody, don't make the assumption that that confrontation isn't what's supposed to be happening because you're in it. It's obviously what's supposed to be happening. Right, it's just about seeing the experience without immediately distorting the experience it's about being in the experience without immediately assuming what it means about the fiction of you and that will change what you do with that experience it will change the conversation and it will change the impact it has on the person that you're interacting with but it's always just about clarity and awareness and then just allowing that to, to act its way out in the situation from moment to moment to moment and the more you do that the easier it gets and then the more you want to throw yourself into situations to see what happens 
And with that, we are coming up to the two hour mark. So we should probably wrap up here. I just want to mention quickly to everybody once again, if you have not joined us on Discord yet, do so by going, going to dualisticunity.com and, and clicking on the community tab. Uh, join us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash dualisticunity to keep track on what we're doing with the sticker campaign. Uh, so you can find out what's happening with our upcoming NFTs and you can join us three times a month for our live group events. And I'm going to let Andrew just wrap up the episode here and then we'll see you next week. Yeah. And I'll, I'll also get those linked um, in the episode description down there too. So easy access discord, Patreon. We'd love to have you there. Uh, we have a lot of fun. Our group chats are always a good time. And one of my favorite parts of, of all of this. So yeah, if you made it this far, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us in this conversation, in this journey. It's always now. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.